Welcome to Porsche Pattern with Bracken Helms, the show where we hear Bracken and his distinguished guests from the Porsche community patter on about Porsches and all things automotive. Porsche Patter is sponsored by Circuit 64. Circuit 64 creates authentic automotive apparel made for like-minded automotive enthusiasts. The links for Circuit 64 are in the show notes. Okay, let's get to it. Jerry Woods, part two. This is that same interview that's in part one, continued. My audio equipment wasn't the best back then because I was just transcribing the interviews, but I've cleaned it up through audio programs. This was recorded after hours, but you do hear, especially in this one, you hear an air hose and a lot of shop noises. In part two, we mostly just talk about 935s, specifically the Dick Barber car, the Garrettson Enterprise car, the Paul Newman car, the work car, workhorse car, the main Mountain View car. I mean, this car's got more names than you can shake a stick at. Anyway, here's part two of Jerry Woods. So did you know about the drug money at the time? Like, do people know or it was no one the, really knew? The, the acronym IMSA, you've probably heard it, the International Marijuana Smuggling Association. You hadn't heard that? <laughs> yeah. It came out in a, there's a German uh, historic car magazine that uh, I used to get called Curbs. And uh, they did a whole, like a 10-page article on the International Marijuana Smuggling Association. And I never heard that acronym. But, you know, there, the, towards the end, you were aware of it. You know, the John Pauls. The, the Whittingtons, there was a guy named Randy Lanier, you know, there's like, okay, where are they getting all this cash, you know, and yeah. rumors floated around, but then again, that didn't bother us, yeah. you know, uh, I, I grew up in that era, you know. Yeah. How heartbreaking was it that you guys easily could have won in 79 had it not been for that will nut or whatever it was? Oh, boy. Yeah, well, the 41 car, which is the numero uno that was the... Uh, the Kramer brother car, you know, it was, again, it was just an incredible race. We, we were way behind. I mean, we could not run the pace that the, the Kramer car was running. And I, I don't remember exactly what the lap times were difference, but at one point we were probably a half an hour behind them, you know, which, you know, like if you watch 24 hour races today, there's five seconds between the top five cars at the end of 24 hours. You yeah. know, I mean, it's just, it's a different cars back then. If you ran them 110%, they wouldn't last. So you had to have drivers that knew how to maintain a car for the period of the race. Rolf Stomlin, he was a great example. I used to sit, tell everybody that if Rolf knew that it was a six hour race, the engine was done at the end of six hours. If it was a 12 hour race, the engine was done at the end of 12 hours. And he knew how to, to utilize the equipment. To get the job done. That's crazy. It was, it, he was amazing at that. And, and so at 79 at Le Mans, you know, we were running a strong second place and the Kramer car was way out in front. But then the Kramer car stopped running. They were on the Mulsanne, dead in the water. And at Le Mans, you can't, you, we used to put spare parts into the car. Right. We, uh, and we even put a, an army shovel in. Because if you got pulled over along the side of the road and had to get underneath the car, 
you, you didn't have any tools, jacks, you know, you, so you dig a hole, you can maybe fix something. And the driver had to do it himself. If anybody got within, I think, 10 meters of the car, you were disqualified. Do they still do that today? Yeah, they still have funny funny rules. In France. I don't know how many of the drivers see, now the, are mechanically inclined. No, they're not. And, and, and the, the French create rules to eliminate cars, not to keep them going. <laughs> you know, where in the IMSA, or the American thought process, is they'll tow the car back to the garage from out if it's broken on the track. Let you fix. They'd rather have cars running. You know, if people and spectators come to watch cars run, not to right. be parked alongside the road. Right. So in France, it was always a weird deal. You know, the rules were different. You had to know what the rules were. So here's Kramer car parked alongside the road, not running. They had spare parts, and what had happened is the fuel mechanical fuel injection pump belt broke or fell off. So they. And I know this because I worked for Kramer later on and got, well, in 1980, we ran the Saks car was a Kramer K3. It was, we were basically the kind of the, the Kramer team in the U.S. with John Fitzpatrick and Dick Barber. <clears throat> so, you know, I got to know Erwin and Monford pretty well. And they explained that they used to, because putting a full width injection pump belt was really difficult sometimes. They'd take a belt and they'd cut it in half. So it's skinnier enough where they could put it on and get back to the pits. So they had one of those in the in the toolkit, and the driver was uh, Don Winnington, and he put it on, started the car, and now meantime you go, we're back in the pit lane, you know, and we're hearing reports on the PA. Now Paul Newman's or whoever was in the car, the, the car was let's call it the Paul Newman car is gaining instead of being thirty laps down. Now we're twenty laps down, and we're like. You know, 10 laps down. I don't quote this exactly, but we're gaining on the deficit because they're not running. All of a sudden, Paul Newman might win 24 hours at Le Mans. The crowd was a nut. It was crazy. You know, it was like everybody and their brother were in the pit lane. They're not like here, you know, you can't be in the pits without a special pass. Over there at that time, everybody and their brother was in the pit, in our pits. You know, that's why I say we could hardly get in the pit. You know, it's like, oh, man. So then, all of a sudden, our car, they're still stuck on the mall sign. Our car pulls in for a tire change because the, the tires that we were running, they had reins and slicks. And at Le Mans, it's a seven-and-a-half-mile track, roughly. And so you could be wet as hell over here and dry as hell over there. And if, the Goodyear t- rain tires were these, like, block tires. And if you ran them at all in the dry, they would start chunking. So all of a sudden, you'd have a chunk tire that was out of balance, and you'd have to come in and change tires. You know, it was a real tip tiptoe thing, yeah. trying to figure out which tire to have, it, it, considering the track conditions. Drivers were trying to find all the puddles to drive through to keep the tires from overheating. We came in to do a tire change, and the left front wheel nut seized, and it wasn't coming off, and it wasn't coming off. And so now we're not, we're not gaining time. We're in the same position as Kramer's car. And, you know, the other guy that was working on the corner with me was a guy named Greg Elliff. He has a shop back in Indy right now. And we had a breaker bar about six feet long. And I probably weighed about 220 at the time. And Craig probably weighed about 250. And we're on this thing trying to undo this wheel nut. The brakes wouldn't hold the wheel. You know, as hard as you stood on the brakes with our breaker bar, it was still turning, and the net wasn't coming. Well, it seized. 
So finally we said, okay, we got to just drill it. We drilled two and split the nut and got it off, but then you ruined the threads on the hub, so we had to put a whole new front suspension on. And we did that, and about the time we were getting going, here comes the Kramer car, chunk, 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 and it passes us in the pit lane. And they, then the crew was able to put the right belt on it, and they got going, and they went ahead and won the race, and we finished second. And it's like, oh, man, it was a good race. We won our class. We won the IMSA class, so it wasn't a just total disaster. You guys are in the same class, so how did you... No, play? we weren't, because there was a Group 5 class and an IMSA class. Oh. So the Kramer car was in the Group 5 class, and Sam we were technically in the IMSA class. So there were, even though they were both 935s... So would a Group 5 be faster than the IMSA, or... No, they were, just, they were the same car. Okay. It was just different class. Okay. Um, primarily, I think, to support the American uh, competitors over there. And uh, there was also a Group 4 class, uh, and that was uh, more of the, the 934s or the, the RSRs, streetcars. So we, we ended up finish checking. But I came to find out later, you know, when I'm talking to Monfred next year, in the following year, he says they were so lucky because Don Whittington was driving the car. He says of the three drivers, Don Whittington, Bill Whittington, and Klaus Ludwig, he says Don was the only one that knew how to work a wrench. He says if Bill or Klaus had been driving, they wouldn't have been able to fix it, and they would have been out. And they won the race. Yeah. <laughs> he put Kramer on the map. You know, they built the K3. That was the first. You know, they'd built, been built, they'd built it and been running at other events. Klaus Ludwig was driving for them in the German championship. They won Le Mans. I mean, they'd done well with RSRs previously, a lot of years of RSRs. But when that winning Le Mans, that was like the, the big cash yeah. deal. You know, they, they sold how many K3s after that to all the customers in the U.S., you know. Yeah, interesting period of racing. Right. What was your favorite race car? Oh, I think the Saks car. Saks 935, K3 with John Fitzpatrick. Is that the white one? Yeah. White blue, I guess. Yeah, yeah. that was phenomenal. That year, well, we won the championship, you know, a great year. Least favorite race car? Whew. Least favorite race car. Well, with Garrison Enterprises, they went away from Porsche for a couple of years. We got involved with the Lola T600, and then the March, probably the March. It was an 82G. It uh, wasn't a Porsche, <laughs> you know, so, and it had all kinds of ailments. Not a good piece. Least favorite Porsche car? Cool. I don't think I can say there is one. Okay, favorite team or series or time period? Again, the, the, the 935 era. That was by far the, the most exciting era. I mean, I got involved with 962s, 956s, but um, I think from the being more hands-on with the whole program, the, the 935s were, were really fun. Best and worst thing about racing? The, the best thing about racing, one of the engineers that worked, you know, Walt Moss was an engineer at Lockheed, so in 1977, he had a, a good buddy of his to help us. You know, he was an aerodynamicist, and he helped on the car a little bit here and there. And uh, his name was Bud. Bees, bees Rising. 
And Bees said one day, he says, you know, the one thing I admire about what you do is we as engineers at uh, Lockheed, we might spend a year working or two years working on a project. We pour our hearts into working on this project. And all of a sudden it comes down there, they're not going to do it. And you just put everything in the, in the dumpster. All your efforts just go right into the dumpster. He says, you with racing, you, all your efforts, you see immediate returns on your efforts, your design or whatever you do. So I think that's, that sums it up, you know. How did you get into doing streetcars? It sounds like you had, you started with Garrettson and you kind of, kind of was always there. Yeah, it was just sort of a, it was a sideline of being employed. What project are you most proud of? Hmm. Probably more recently, um, about three years ago, we created a car for a customer in a class we called GTL. The owner of the car was Mike Kalki. He's now, we took that car two different times to the Daytona Classic 24-hour race uh, back at Daytona. And he won, won his class twice. And that car, from the project standpoint, I invested a lot of design in it. Mike also had some handicaps, and so I had to build a, a, a hand throttle for it because he, he had delays moving his feet. Quite capable, uh, obviously, he won the race. But So I designed a hand throttle for the car, and then we also added a paddle shift transmission and all the wherewithal designing it, interface it into this car and the chassis modifications. Uh, a lot of chassis modifications uh, in the car, and so that GTL project is probably, yeah, it's probably my most rewarding project because it came out, it worked. You know, I was involved with a project in 1981. I liked doing it. It was putting a 935 engine and drive train into the Lola T600. In 1981. Porsche was not going to compete against the customers. They were going to let the customers run 935s. They didn't have a prototype car to run, or they they had one, but they weren't going to. And so we were all gung-ho to, we ran the, the Lola T600. Brian Redmond brought that into the our, our camp with the Chevy motor, won the IMSA championship over in 1981 with that car. It was run under the Garrettson Enterprises window, so to speak, or banner run by the crew chief was a, an English guy that had worked at Lola, John Bright, really talented person. Uh, Brian was an, obviously a talented driver. And so there was a lot of hope putting this Porsche engine into the car for the reliability at Le Mans. Unfortunately, like I say, we, we didn't get the retrofitting of the drivetrain into the car. It was barely finished before it went on the airplane. And then when we got to the Le Mans, we had, it, it wasn't making boost, and the, it turns out that the intercooler system wasn't wasn't holding pressure, was leaking, so we didn't qualify. That was very disappointing, because mm-hmm. there was another guy that helped me work, fabricator guy, and the two of us, we worked on that car around the clock. There was one time I worked three days straight. You know, my girlfriend at the time would call up just to make sure I didn't crash on the way home. And you know, was I still alive? <laughs> no, I'm still working on this race car. Maybe uh, an unrealistic dream, but it, it was it was interesting and it was fun. A lot of work, a lot of work. So, I mean, that was a project that was. You say, what's the most exciting project? That was an exciting project, but it didn't pan out. Or Mike's car. 
was an exciting project and it panned out. So, you know, that's, that's this teeter totter type right. of thing. Yeah. The politics entered into that too and why the car didn't continue because Porsche at some period in time decided they were going to run the 936s. The president of Porsche at the time decided, hey, wait a minute, why are we as a company not participating at Le Mans? Uh, Peter Schutz. Oh, oh, we weren't going to do it. Well, we got two, three, 936s over there under the woodshed. Let's uh, dust them off, modify them, and we're going to go win Le Mans, aren't we? Oh, well, you guess so, boss. <laughs> so once that car was coming online, our effort was cut. We were basically Porsche's su- support for any parts that we needed, engine parts, brakes, suspension parts. We were cut off at the ankles. We couldn't buy parts. I had two 935 motors I needed to build for the 935s, and I couldn't get parts. You know, I called up Frau Bear, and I said, Frau Bear, what's happening to my parts I ordered for the 935 motors? Oh, Jerry, we have a big problem. Yeah, what's the big problem? Oh, um, something about you running an outlaw car. Uh, what? Yeah, something about a Porsche motor and an English chassis. Politics. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, I guess this kind of goes along with that. Any store, any horror stories with drivers or racing or teams? Oh, that might, that's a horror story for sure. <laughs> you know, I mean, that's the politics. You know, that, that was, it's unfair, but it happens. Any horror stories with drivers? Probably not. I mean, the other project that we did that was really another one that was exciting was when ba- Wayne Baker bought now, we, this car that finished second at Le Mans, that also won Daytona in 81, my my colleagues, Martin Raffoff and I, we refer to it as the Maiden Mountain View car because that was a tub that we built up. There was a tub, a white tub that was just came from Porsche. We picked it up at the airport, and we built the car out of parts from a couple wrecks and other pieces, and we built this car up. It wasn't originally built by Porsche. So Maiden Mountain View car. And then when Bob sold the car at the end of 1982, he sold it to Wayne Baker. And Wayne, in the meantime, had called me and said, Jerry, what do you you think we can retrofit this 935 and and run it in in Group 4 as a 934? Yeah. You know, there's some ideas. Let's kick them around. Well, to run as a GTO car, not a GTX or GTO. You, it was a GTO car. It had to have a 10 inch and 12 inch wheels, so the wheels combinations were smaller. It had to have a spoiler, it couldn't have a wing. Uh, I don't know if you've seen pictures of it. It was a butt ugly yellow. It looked, we called it the school bus car. And it was, you know, it was not a pretty car. Nobody would get put out if they say, oh, that was a butt ugly school bus car. Even Wayne thought it was, but we built it. And we sent the car down to uh, a shop in San Diego, and uh, Don Rocky was a fabricator that Wayne knew, and redid the whole rear suspension and cut off the car and tube-framed it. And I built the motor, and I turned the intercooler around and did a bunch of things, to, and it had to run as a single turbo, fabricated an exhaust for it, fabricated the intercooler for it, and then we took it to Daytona, and we had some issues, teething issues, uh, Daytona, primarily the the alternator belt that we were using. We were using a tooth belt, and it 
kept stripping teeth and had a lot of issues. We had a clutch, um, bolts on the flywheel all broke off. There's some teething issues. But we solved all that, went to Sebring, and ran very strong at Sebring. And we ended up winning the race overall. It's the first time a GTO car has ever won overall. So that's very, a very significant race with that car. That was, that was phenomenal. It was history making. And so that car now, which is back into the Paul Newman livery owned by Adam Corolla. Yeah. It got sold. Wayne sold the car. We ran it for a few years or he ran it. I was a part of the team, but. Wayne Baker Racing ran it, and they ran uh, back in 84. They, we turned it back into a twin-turbo 935, changed the body work again, and then he sold it to a gentleman called uh, Chet Vincense, Electrodyne, and Chet was running cars, and so he ran it a little bit, and then he shelved it, and then a guy in South Florida bought it, and he called me and says, Jerry, I bought this car. What kind of livery? You know, what do you think? I, how should I build the car? I'd put it back for me. We, the car was so chopped up that to make it something that has some significant, I said, make it like the, the, the 934 winner at Sebring. To me, winning Sebring is more significant than winning 24 hour at Daytona because it has more sports car history in the United States. You know, people will argue that, but. You know, Sebring's been around since the early 50s. Daytona didn't start until 66. From a sports car, American sports car standpoint, I think Sebring was the, the thing. I said, ah, put it, make it like it was in 83 when we went Sebring. GTO car. Phenomenal history. It was but ugly. Didn't want to own a but ugly car. And he wanted a Le Mans Paul Newman car. So that got restored back to that livery. Yeah. It could have been restored. I told him at the time, I says, it wouldn't be because we had converted back to a 35. We You could easily make it like the, the style auto car that won Daytona in 81. That's all right. Some parts of the car wouldn't be right because of the way we uh, restructured it for the GTO. But it would have been all right. But no, it wanted a Le Mans car. And, you know, Adam Corolla, when he bought the car at auction three years ago, he wanted, he's collecting cars that, Paul Newman drove. So he wanted that car. I went to the livery (laughs) to to the auction just to watch it, you know, sold for, hammered at 4.4 million. Apparently, Adam thought it was undervalued. So he, because he didn't think he was going to get it. (laughs) Really? Yeah. Yeah. But he's having fun with the car, he's enjoying it. And that's, that's good. Thanks for joining us for today's episode. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe, comment, like, and share with your friends. Feel free to send questions or suggestions to the email in the description of the show. Special thanks to our sponsor, Circuit 64. Goodbye for now. We hope we can get together again for our next episode. Now get out there and enjoy the cars and the people.